0: Guardian.co.uk
1: Hello, my name is Jamila Gavin and you're listening to the Guardian Children's Book podcast and I'm telling you about my book, Tales from India, Stories of Creation and the Cosmos. This was a wonderful book to work on with a particularly good illustrator um, who has fantastic pictures all the way through showing gods and demons and the river Ganga coming to earth and Ganesh with his elephant's head and a favourite story of mine which is called Manu's Ark um, which is very like Noah's Ark except that there are some crucial differences and I thought I might read you a little extract from that story. As with Noah, Manu was waiting for a flood to come and destroy the world. He'd actually saved a fish who turned out to be Brahma, who is the creator. And having saved the fish, the fish turned around and said, I am Brahma, lord of all living things, creator of the universe, and because you saved my life, I'm going to save yours. And he said to Manu, go and build an ark just as God said to Noah. So Manu went into the forest and he chopped down some trees and he built an ark. And then God said, Brahma said, go and collect the seed of every living thing. Go all to the slippery, creepy, crawly things and the flying things and the ice caps and the oceans and get the demons from the bowels of the earth and the angels from the heavens and put them all on the ark and then I'm going to send a flood and destroy the world. So Manu did that and he waited and waited and waited for this destruction to come. And this is where I'll read you a little bit. But first, seven blazing suns appeared in the sky and were so fiery and hot that soon all the streams, rivers and oceans dried up. The trees shriveled, the crops failed and the earth became as hard as iron. Manu was sure they would all be burnt to death as tongues of fire greedily licked their way around the world. So why had he been told to build a boat?' One day, at last, a single black cloud appeared in the sky, followed by another and another. Like a herd of elephants, they rolled across the sky, blotting out the seven suns, and the world was plunged into darkness. And suddenly, there was a mighty crack of thunder, and down came the rain. It rained and rained for twelve years, The rivers and streams and lakes filled up and overflowed and flooded the land, drowning everything. All that was left was Manu and his boat and all the seeds of every living thing. When at last the rain stopped, Manu found himself floating on a vast ocean. There was not one speck of life or land on the horizon. How lonely he felt. Then one day, after many years, he saw something sticking up out of the waves, something which was swimming rapidly towards him. As Manu looked closely, he could make out the shape of a horn. Desperately, Manu rushed to find a coil of rope, and making a lasso, he spun it over the side of the boat, caught the horn, and pulled it tight creature leapt and jerked but Manu wouldn't let go and even when it turned round and began to swim away, Manu held on for all his worth and found himself and the boat being hauled along behind the creature at great speed. Year after year Manu and his ark were dragged across the never-ending waters until One day, his eyes almost dim from watching and staring and seeing nothing but sea and sky, he glimpsed the tip of a mountain rising up out of the ocean. With joy, he realised that he was being taken towards the mountain. When he heard the bottom of the boat scrape the shale, Manu stumbled ashore and fell weeping with gratitude upon dry land. The creature rose out of the waves. It was a giant horned fish. Before it swam away, the fish spoke to Manu in a loud and solemn voice. I am Brahma, Lord of all living things, creator of the universe. Because you saved my life when I was a little fish in trouble, I have now saved yours. When the waters drop, Go and place the seed of every living thing in its proper place so that life can begin all over again. So Manu went all over the world, returning the seeds back to the deserts jungles, waterlands and icy regions, back to the mountains, valleys, oceans and skies. He returned the stripy, spotted, furry, scaly, winged and clawed creatures, the stinging, scratching, slivering, swimming, scampering and climbing things, as well as the demons who came from the bowels of the earth and the angels who lived in the highest heavens." Once again, the seven holy scholars began to reveal the ancient words of wisdom that came from the gods. Every living thing that Lord Brahma had created, Manu returned to its proper place. His work completed, Manu found himself in a cool stream where he stood on one leg, raised his hands in prayer and thanked Brahma for creating the universe ...all over again.
0: Thank you. I'm Ollie the Bookworm and I'm here at the Brighton Festival... ...and I've just heard Jamila read from her book Tales from India... ...and I've got a few questions for her. Tales from India is retellings of tales to do with Hinduism in India. Why did you choose to write about this?
1: First of all, my father um, was Indian and I was born in India... ...and I was kind of brought up with these stories... And I was brought up seeing the celebrations. India is a land of celebrations, whether it's Diwali or, I mean, and we celebrated all the religions as well, like Christmas and Hanukkah and everything, and always seeing processions. So I knew the gist of them, but I didn't really get to know them very well until much, much later when we were living in England. And I was really brought up with a lot of English literature and I'd started to write. And then I began to remember these stories and they had a great inspiration. They were a great inspiration um, and actually influenced the kind of stories I chose to write.
0: And you mentioned quite a few similarities between... Um, Hinduism and India and other religions too and why do you think that is?
1: I think partly because my mother and father were extremely well read and very interested in all religions so not only do we know about the Hindu myths and legends but also about the Scandinavian and the Greek and inevitably one began to see that there were some similarities and some of the early Christian stories had similarities that always interested me. And, uh, I, you know, naturally one wonders because people move around and travel. I mean, even stories like Cinderella started out maybe in China and travelled all over the world, and it just makes you wonder. So it's always been a fascination.
0: And my favourite story from Tales from India is Manu, the Fish and the Flood. Um, but which is yours and Why?
1: I love them all, and the ones I chose in the book are all stories that I felt had particular meaning and resonance for me. I mean, I've always loved the very opening of Brahma floating on a sea of milk and waking up and the whole of creation starting again, that whole process of creation and then the churning and all these elements of the stories that we then learn about later come out of that churning. I
0: also really love Three Indian Goddesses and Three Indian Princesses. Um, The stories really captured me in those particular books. But um, what's your overall favourite book that you've written?
1: That's a hard one. It's a very hard one. I always feel you have to be deeply in love with the book that you're writing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to put in the work and finish it. Uh, I mean, it's almost like saying, I know it's a bit of a cliché, but, you know, it's like a mother having children, and she actually, in the end, loves them all and for different reasons and at different stages. But I always say that if there was a fire and I could only save one book, I think it would probably be a book you haven't mentioned called The Wheel of Surya, which comes out of a trilogy, which I call the Surya Trilogy, because I felt it reflected my personal history, the fact that I was half Indian, I am half Indian, half English. I was born in India, came to England. and The, the books are very much about that dual culture and the, and the journey between the two countries. And I felt that by writing that book, it turned me into a writer. And it says on your website
0: that when you were younger, you never said that you particularly wanted to be a children's writer, which might surprise a few people. When did you make that sort of transition?
1: I think, I do think that all of us have got a book inside us and it's always just a question of are we going to write it or when are we going to write it or why are we going to write it. So I always felt I had a book inside me and I loved making up stories but I didn't say when I grow up I'm going to be a writer. I had so many other things I was interested in, not least of all music. Um, So I needed a reason, I needed that trigger and the main trigger came when I realised that England around me, ever since we'd settled there, had become a very multiracial, multicultural society and that there were a whole, whole generations of children like me with brown skins who really weren't seeing their mirror images. And I just felt, I think I could write about that. I could write about that experience of having maybe a different ethnic background but essentially being British.
0: Nowadays at school, we always have to completely plan our stories, the beginning, the middle, and then the end. Um, That really infuriates me, but do you usually plan your stories before writing them?
1: I'm afraid I don't, and I think I must madden an awful lot of teachers who do teach you that. It's not a bad idea, if you've got some idea for, for structure's sake, if you can kind of do it. But I always feel I've been a bit of a sleepwalker with my stories. I I think about them, I drift into them, I, I become part of all the characters and I just find myself sleepwalking with them. Where are they going? Why are they going to do this? How are they going to get out of it? And I often just lie in bed in the morning when I've just woken up going over the previous work and thinking, well, what's going to happen to them today? And I move with them. Sometimes that can be a a long process, but I find it a very exciting process. And very unexpected things happen because I didn't plan it. I didn't know that was going to happen to that character. Um, And for me, it keeps it very fresh and alive.
0: Do you usually um, choose the titles before you actually write the books or not? Not
1: necessarily necessarily. Um, There is one short story I wrote in my very first collection of stories. Um, My very first collection was called The Magic Orange Tree and in that collection is a book called Midnight Cows. One day I was driving back from London in the middle of the night uh, into the country where I live in Gloucestershire and suddenly in front of me the road in the moonlight was filled with cows and midnight cows came into my head. And I think that's almost the first time that I had a title before I had the story. And then I had to go back and think up a story (laughs) so that I could call it Midnight Cows.
0: Your perhaps most well-known book is Coran Boy because it won lots of awards and it's been on stage as well. How did that feel for you and why do you think that it was and is so well-loved?
1: I think the reason why it was so particularly well-loved... Um, is maybe because it is, after all, a very English book. It reflects... I'd reached a point when I thought, you know, I'm not just half Indian, and so many of my stories had had the Indian element. I'm also half English, and I've actually lived in England much longer than I've ever lived in India. So I suddenly felt an entitlement and and a need to write something that was reflecting the English side of me. I was living in Gloucestershire. I was aware of um, links of roads. I've always been interested in links as I said to you earlier with the tales from India seeing resonances with other countries and myths and legends and it's the same living in the countryside and seeing roads and you know that they were trade routes from the north of England through the west country down to London and then I heard the story about a quorum man um, seemingly trading in babies and children and very callously um, And the whole thing just came alive for me in a very um, local way. I I was in Gloucestershire, I saw the cathedral, I love music, and I found ways of being able to put all the things that I love about England into this book.
0: I love to write as well, and a phrase that I usually write by is dare to dream. Is there a motto or phrase that you write by?
1: I've never thought of a phrase as you have, and that's a wonderful phrase, dare to dream. And I suppose if I was to pick up on what your little phrase is, maybe I'd say dare to question, because I I feel I always am questioning. And I never uh, forget Kipling's six honest men, which you probably all know, but his six honest men were who, when, where, why, what, and how. And I find that I'm always questioning, as I did when I heard the story of the quorum man. Who is the quorum man? When did he live? Why was he trading in babies? How were we going to stop it? How did my characters survive this? So I live with questions.
0: And your writing style is very different to other authors. What advice would you give to the sort of children who'd maybe like to become writers in the future, but are afraid of maybe being teased or being too different?
1: I don't know at all. I mean, I'm very interested that you say that. All I know is that in order to be original, and I think in the end you do need to be original, I I mean, I think writers always say read, read, read as much as you can to learn from other good writers how they write and how they deal with their plots and resolve things and so on. There is a craft that you can learn but in the end you need to be original otherwise people just say oh well you're just like Harry Potter or you're just copying so and so so to be original you have to find your own voice and your own style and there comes a point when you shut the door on everybody else I find when I'm writing a book I don't read other children's books I just shut the door on it and look for my own voice and write the way I feel
0: Have you ever wished that you could change something about one of your books once it's published?
1: I have, and then when I've had an opportunity to do it, I haven't done it. And I I realise that you write what you write at that point in time. It may not be as good, or it may be this, or it may be that. I looked at a story the other day. I thought, is it too wordy? Should I cut it down? In the end, I couldn't. I just thought, no, it belongs to that period. You know, it was true for that period. So leave it.
0: And finally, what is your most asked question?
1: Where do you get your ideas (laughs) from? (laughs) I think that is probably the most asked question. And the fact is it's barely a question that you can answer. If you're a writer, everything is an idea, can be an idea. Someone seen on a bus, something read in a newspaper. The tiniest things can suddenly lead, like dropping it's almost like I don't know if you've ever seen jasmine tea and you pour boiling water over it over the sort of closed-up leaves, and then the whole thing opens out, and that's what it can be like. It can be something dropped onto those leaves and it opens out into a whole book and then the hard work starts.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Lovely to meet you all. Thank you. Thank you.